gathered together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero, Superman. The Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, The Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. I've got a few things to say about Superman, The Superman Vidcast, The World's Best Podcast, and Radio Kale from SupermanHomepage.com, as well as the audio dramas Superman, Last Son of Krypton, and Supergirl, Last Daughter of Krypton from Hendon Audio Production. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Cayman Stoll, I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co-host Scotty V. At supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El came to Earth, whose environment gave him fantastic powers. In Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil the world over as Superman. Episode 53 of Superman in the Bronze Age, the only show on the internet featuring Superman's adventures in the Bronze Age. My name is Charlie Niemeyer, and today we are going to finish up Movie Team-Up Month with the Bronze Age team-up between Superman and the Dark Knight himself, Batman. But first, I've got emails. First up is an email from Russell Bragg, who writes in to say, Hi! I wanted to try and help with a question of sorts that you had because I figured Michael Bradley has the answer too. This is to you wondering that there must be a lot of the yellow blanket left from Super Baby's rocket. As you recall in Action 500, I noted that a lot of the blue got used up and the red obviously got used up, but the yellow baby blanket, there's hardly any yellow on the costume. Uh, In the New Adventures of Superboy number 18, the backup feature Superboy's Secret Diary, Superboy is inspired by Lana Lang to have Martha Kent make him a new costume from the remnants of the blankets on his rocket, in which yellow is the dominant color. But the yellow color absorbs the sun's energizing yellow rays, and Superboy suffers a power loss. Thus, he stops wearing the new uniform and goes back to the to the traditional one. Hope that helps. Anyway, I have enjoyed your podcast since the beginning. I loved it before, and I love it now with the new format. I just like this era, I guess, because it's the era I grew up in. The post-Crisis Superman is fine, and I enjoy listening to Crisis to Crisis, but for me... I like the idea that Superman was Superboy, which is why I'm going to enjoy your podcast a lot, also because of your Superboy segment with J. David Weeder. Well, I don't want to ramble on and on, so I'll close for now. You two keep up the great work. Russell Bragg, Clarksburg, West Virginia. Thank you very much, Russell. Yes, um, and I responded to him, but I'll go ahead and say it again. I completely forgot about that story. Um, And in fact, I own it. I've read it. 
And as soon as he mentioned it, it made a lot of sense. But yes, uh, there was that story, and in addition to it looking really weird, because I think they... I want to say they kept the red... I want to say it was still a red cape and a red S, but they switched all the blue and yellow. I think. I don't know, I'd probably have to go pull that out. Anyway, thank you, Russell. Uh, the next email is from Sean Ingle. Congratulations on reaching episode 50, belated. I'm liking the new format, as well as J. David's Superboy in the Bronze Age segment as well. I'd also like to take some time and state what my favorite Superman origin story is. Now, I'll preface this with the knowledge that I wasn't much of a Superman comic collector slash reader. However, one of my fondest childhood memories is seeing the 1978 Superman in the theaters, which must have been so cool. Um, from the opening read of the Action Comics comic to the scenes on Krypton, the death of Pa Kent, which I still well up at that scene, the helicopter rescue, the missile chase, and all the daring do at the end, the movie honestly made this eight-year-old boy believe a man could fly. And Christopher Reeve gave a performance that was so perfect for the character. When he says, I'm here to fight for truth, justice, and the American way, he says it with no amount of irony or snarkiness. He is the embodiment of all that is good, and he will use everything within his powers to protect the planet that has adopted him. This year, the Avengers might have got the superhero format downright, but Superman set the template for it. I've read and listened to some other versions of the origin, but none have ever moved, enthused, and amazed me as much as the one Christopher Reeve gave us that summer. Anyhow, I'm loving the new format and can't wait for the next episode. Take care, Sean Ingle. And Sean hosts Just One of the Guys, a Green, which is a Green Lantern podcast, different from the one that David does. His focus is more on the, obviously, Guy Gardner part of the show, or of the comics, and then we'll eventually also focus on Kyle Rayner's time as Green Lantern. So I suggest you give that one a listen. It's a really good show, and he's a fellow Oklahoman, so, you know, support your Oklahomans. Uh, but thank you, Sean. And speaking of the super question, we've got a new one. I didn't do one last week because, well, I was recording the Spider-Man show with the other guys, and also this episode's being recorded kind of quickly because... I'm getting ready to go on a on a trip, so I'll be out of town for a couple weeks, which means that this episode has to be done a little early, and it wouldn't have time to get your emails. So I decided to wait an episode, and we're going to do the new question this time. And the new question is, to go along with the theme for today's episode, what is your favorite Superman-Batman team-up, and why? It can be across any forms of media and any era of the characters, from their team-ups on the radio show to, I guess, their team-up in Batman Brave and the Bold to anything that's happened in the New 52, although I'm not sure they've had any specific... Well, they've appeared in each other's books a little bit, so we can go use those. Any time that they've teamed up, which one is your favorite? And I'll let you know which one's my f- which one is my favorite when we get to that episode. Again, this is across all forms of media and all eras. You can respond by either emailing in at superbronze1970 at gmail.com or posting on the Superman in the Bronze Age fe- Facebook page, and the results will be read next episode. And after a couple of promos for some awesome podcasts, I'll be right back. Superman in the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. For Guy Gardner podcast. I got a fast connection, so I don't have to wait. 
for Guy Gardner Podcasts. There's always some new site for Guy Gardner Podcasts. I browse all day and night for Guy Gardner Podcasts. It's like I'm surfing at the speed of light for Guy Gardner Podcasts. The internet is for Guy Gardner Podcasts. The internet is for and sometimes Kyle Rayner Podcasts. Why you think the net was born? Guy Gardner Podcasts. Just One of the Guys is a weekly internet radio show dedicated to bringing you reviews, commentary, and a heartfelt defense of the characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner, the two Earth-based Green Lanterns who always seem to get dumped on. Over the next several years, I will be covering the Green Lantern books from cover date June 1990 until cover date November 2004. I'll also be covering the Guy Gardner solo series, as well as any other media that catches my fancy. The show can be found on iTunes by searching for Just One of the Guys podcast, or by going to the website justoneofthegues.libsyn.com. So be sure to tune in every Friday for a fun-filled look at the Green Lantern Corps, hosted by me, Sean Ingle. It's just as enjoyable as the search for the subject that this song is actually about. Just one of the guys. Just one of the guys does not officially certify that this podcast is more enjoyable than pornography. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, a great adventure took place. I'm going to regret this. This is ridiculous. Don't be alarmed. It's only a laser sword fight. Star Tours announces the boarding of the Endor Express, non-stop star speeder service to the moon of Endor. All passengers, please prepare for immediate boarding. No! Cannot get your ship off. <laughs> Lando Calrissian is a positive role model in the realm of science fiction fans. Lando Calrissian. Star Wars Monthly Mondays, available the first Monday of every month at 2TrueFreaks.Libson.com. We would be honored if you would join us. We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. I'm back! Now, unlike Spider-Man, Batman met up with our Man of Steel on many occasions. As you probably know, they were not only teammates in the Justice League, but they also teamed up on a regular basis in just about every issue of World's Finest. So considering how many issues I had to choose from, I decided to just randomly pick an issue of World's Finest to cover. And this time I got issue number 266, which has a cover date of January 1981, but was released around September 11th, 1980 just a couple weeks after my birth. It was a 48-page, $1 issue, which means that, with apologies to Steve Rogers yet again, there's no ads to go over this issue. Sorry, Steve. The cover is by Jim Aparo, who, of course, draws an awesome Batman, but I'm not too fond of his interpretation of Superman. 
although this is one of the best drawings of Superman I've seen him do. The big problem is his depiction of this issue's villain, Lady Lunar. While her costume design isn't much better than her name, Apero doesn't do much to help things with this with his interpretation. It is a little better on the inside, but... You know the term, you can't shine a turd? Well, it turns out, according to Mythbusters, you can, but in this case, you can't. Okay, the title of the story is The Last Laugh of Lady Lunar, written by Carrie Burkett, penciled by Rick Buckler, inked by Bob Smith, colored by Gene D'Angelo, lettered by the legendary Ben Oda, and edited by Jack C. Harris. Our story begins at Star Labs, where Clark Kent is covering the opening of a lunar exhibit that is supposed to promote interest in future space colonies. After Clark interviews Bruce Wayne and Dr. Jeanette Clyburn about the Wayne Foundation's donation to the project, and ends his report, one of the building's walls explodes, and in flies a blonde woman in a butt-ugly costume named Lady Lunar. Well, she's named Lady Lunar, not the costume. Anyway, while she flies around and uses her power to cause the moon model to levitate, Clark and Bruce dash to another vacant room and change into their super alter egos, Superman and Batman, respectively. Superman works on evacuating the crowd while Batman goes on the offensive, but finds himself sent flying backwards by Lady Lunar's strange powers. Doesn't actually specify which one, but... um which is kind of weird at this era, because usually they tell you everything they're doing. But anyway, Superman catches the Cape Crusader and then goes after Lady Lunar himself. But as he approaches, he suddenly gets dizzy and crashes to the ground, at which point Lady Lunar drops the moon model on him. As Lady Lunar makes her escape, Batman helps Superman out from under the moon. While, Bat- while Superman wonders why it felt like he flew into a wall of kryptonite, Batman suggests that he has a theory, and the two agree to meet at the Batcave. Not long after, some time has passed and we're in the Batcave. And Batman asks Superman if he remembers when they went up against Moon Man. And there's an editor's note to let us know that this happened way back in World's Finest number 98 from 1958. Moon Man was Bryce Rogers, the first astronaut to orbit the moon. But during his orbit, his ship passed through the tail of a strange comet. The radiation from that comet gave... Comic? Wow. The radiation from that comet gave Rogers strange powers, which he used to commit crimes, but only at night when the moon was out. During the day, Bryce would revert back to normal with no memory of his criminal activities. His powers were very similar to Lady Lunar's powers, and Moon Man gave off a radiation that was very similar to kryptonite, which would explain Superman's weakness as he approached Lady Lunar. Which, as many times as I've said it so far, is not a fun name to say. Fortunately, Roger's Moonman affliction eventually wore off, and he is now a highly respected Gotham citizen. So, the heroes go visit him to try to get some insight on his powers, and maybe what's going on with Lady Lunar. But unfortunately, he isn't much help, because he just doesn't remember anything. So the heroes decide to split up, with Superman keeping an eye out for Lady Lunar, and Batman digging through the case history. By sunset the next day, Superman still has not heard from Batman and has not seen Lady Lunar, which was actually somewhat expected considering her powers. But, lo and behold, once the moon appears, the Man of Steel spots her flying out of a military installation. But before he can even attempt to stop her without getting near her, she uses her powers to create a tidal wave in Metropolis Harbor. So he flies off and creates a wind barrier to dissipate the tidal wave, which gives Lady Lunar all the time she needs to make her escape. So Superman returns to the installation to find that she had stolen an experimental bomb capable of destroying Metropolis. 
the existence of which was only known by high-ranking officials and some of the staff at Star. But Superman also notices that the people at the installation appear to have been hypnotized. Later, Superman meets up with Batman outside of Star Labs to not only bring him up to speed, but to also check out a lead that Batman has found. Inside, they find the space capsule that Bryce Rogers was in way back when he was bathed with that comet's radiation. Apparently, it was sent from it was sent to Star from NASA to be used in Star's lunar exhibit, but was removed because it, sti- it was still charged with the radiation, which is confirmed when Superman gets all weak and dizzy as he approaches it. Considering all of this evidence, our heroes believe that Lady Lunar is actually Dr. Jeanette Clyburn. So they head to her house, but she isn't home. However, a neighbor tells him that while he hasn't seen Clyburn since yesterday morning, he did see Lady Lunar show up last night, but didn't see her leave. Now, convinced that Clyburn is Lady Lunar, Batman stays behind to stake out her house while Superman flies back to the city in search of Lady Lunar and the bomb. Batman sticks around until the next night without seeing Dr. Clyburn at all. Figuring she'll be too busy as Lady Lunar to come back that night, he decides he might as well help Superman with his search. But as he prepares to leave, he spots Dr. Clyburn walking down the street and realizes that the heroes were wrong, as it's nighttime and she's not Lady Lunar. He confronts her, but is zapped to unconsciousness by the real Lady Lunar. When he comes to, he and the Doctor are tied up and Lady Lunar is nowhere to be found. At this point, Dr. Clyburn relates to him how Lady Lunar kidnapped her, used her mesmerizing power to pick her brain, which is how she found out about the bomb, and spent the day in a coma-like state on the couch. With all this time just laying there, Dr. Clyburn was able to get a good enough look at her face to realize that Lady Lunar is none other than astronaut trainee Stacy Macklin, who, according to another editor's note, was a friend of Wonder Woman's and was in her book during her brief stint at NASA. She was supposed to speak at the lunar exhibit opening, but was but at some point prior to the show, she just happened to be by the space capsule when it was struck by moonlight through a window which somehow activated the radiation and caused Stacy to be bathed in its rays. So we all know now about Lady Lunar. But Batman and Dr. Clyburn are still stuck because the villainess had used her gravity force to cause the ropes to adhere to them, meaning Batman can't just rip his way out or use one of the tricks from his utility belt. So while Batman tries to come up with an escape plan, Lady Lunar is on top of the highest skyscraper in Metropolis with the experimental bomb, to which she has installed a timer. Fortunately, Superman arrives on the scene, but before he can do anything, she uses the full power of her mesmerizing force to afflict all the people on the nearby streets with moon madness, which basically causes them to riot and rage like wild beasts. I'm not making this stuff up, folks. Meanwhile, back at Dr. Clyburn's house, Batman and the Doctor have repositioned themselves so that he can flick her earring out of her ear with enough force to break the glass around a nearby light and also rip off half of the Doctor's ear in the process. Not really. Somehow it doesn't hurt her at all. But they're able to use the sharp slivers of glass to cut the rope and escape. But Batman has to move fast to fight Lady Lunar. So, in a move that seemingly defies logic... He takes the Batmobile from Dr. Clyburn's house outside of Metropolis, drives all the way back to the Batcave in Gotham, so that he can then take the Batcopter back to Metropolis to find Lady Lunar. More on that later. 
In the meantime, Superman takes a cue from the Batman and Robin movie and creates two large solar reflectors in space, aiming them so that they will direct the sunlight to the streets of Metropolis and break Lady Lunar's spell. Realizing that she's going to have to hurry if she's going to make that bomb go off before Superman gets back, Lady Lunar prepares to detonate it. Lady Lunar prepares to detonate it herself, but as she reaches for the bomb, her hand is struck by a batarang. Batman then grabs her and, before she can make another move, forces her into the sunshine beam, restoring her back to Stacy Macklin, while Superman grabs the bomb and throws it out into space. Soon, in a laboratory in Star Labs, tests showed that the radiation that, caused, that was causing Stacy to turn into Lady Lunar at night is slowly wearing off, but until it does, she'll have to be heavily sedated when the moon is out to prevent another transformation. But Stacy doesn't care. She's just glad that the whole ordeal is over, thanks to Superman and Batman. Page one on my notes. The lunar exhibit seems like a pretty valid reason to have Clark and Batman in the same place at the same time. It doesn't seem forced too much, and I mean, you would expect them to both be there, cover, uh, you know, in their respective capacities, uh, to have something to do with that exhibit. So it makes perfect sense to me. Page four: Superman is being affected by Lady Lunar, and how he's being affected is not very clear. It looks to me as if he's flying towards her, then makes a beeline down, and then turns straight ahead again. And then the next thing we see is the moon just falls on him and smash. He looks like he falls flat on his face, and then the, it's not really clear that the moon actually falls on him until the next panel. It's just, I don't know. It's not one of the best things. I don't know. Anyway, page six. Moon Man is a character that hasn't been seen since 1958, as I said earlier. Um, so his character has a specific... His character. His costume has a very early Silver age look. And um, his costume gets a bit of an update here, but it still looks really terrible. I gotta say that green, orange, and yellow did not work well together. It's probably not the worst costume we'll see in the Bronze Age, but yeah. Page 8. Now here's a prime example of how space constraints can make a super feat seem small last episode, we covered the Spider-Man, the Superman and Spider-Man team-up. Part of that story involves Superman having to stop a tidal wave. That, uh, that issue, because it was supersized and they had more room, de- devoted three pages to Superman stopping that tidal wave. Most of it was flying down to it and then trying to figure out what to do, but three pages. In this issue, we get one panel. And we only get his word that it worked. So, page 14. When Batman flicks Dr. Clyburn's earring, it looks like he's sitting in her lap. Couldn't he have just taken it out of her ear and then get in a better position before trying to flick it? You know, that's just me. Second, how hard do you have to be able to flick an earring to get it to break the glass over a light? Usually it would take enhanced strength, possibly even super strength, to perform such a feat. I mean, granted, I know it's movie universe, and it's the same movie universe that had a cellophane S come off his chest, but in Superman 3, Superman had to use his super strength to cause, like, a peanut to bust through a bottle of wine, or a bottle of whiskey. And I'm not saying that 
bottle of wine or whatever is the same as the glass covering of a light, but it's gonna be it's still glass. It's still gonna need a good amount of force to bust through it. A human flicking an earring ain't gonna do it. Uh, and then there's the whole thing about getting to the Batcopter. Batman is leaving her house and decides he needs to get there quickly, so he'll go to the Batcave and get the Batcopter. Now, it appears that Dac- the Dactor, Dr. Clyburn lives in, a, in the suburbs of Metropolis. And I know that in the Bronze Age, Gotham was considered to be just across the river from Metropolis. But I would still think that it would be quicker to just drive downtown in the Batmobile than to drive all the way to Gotham and probably have... An, Unless, and I'm not completely sure about Batman history here. I do know that he had his Batcave and hideout in downtown Gotham. Bruce Wayne was living at the Wayne Enterprise penthouse. And way down in the basement was the new Batcave. Now, I don't know if he had the Batcopter there, or if he had it at the Batcave at Wayne Manor. Either way, he was either having to drive downtown, or having to drive outside of town to get to one of the bat caves to get to the batcopter and then fly to the city. It turns out the what I can, from what I can tell the only reason they did this was that to give Batman a good reason to be up on the roof of the largest skyscraper in Metropolis to stop Lady Lunar from activating the bomb. It's the only thing I can figure. Uh, page fifteen. Now talk about your quick ending. It gave me a chuckle when I read that last line, though, about Superman and Batman as they fly out the window. It reminded me of all the cartoons I used to watch as a kid, particularly Voltron, since every episode ended with someone being glad that the day had been saved by Voltron. Um, Overall, it wasn't a terrible story. If I wasn't reading this for a podcast, I'd probably enjoy it as just a quick little Superman-Batman adventure, fun little read. Um, But because I'm analyzing it, it I kind of see some of the problems with it. Uh, Superman didn't get much to do besides fly around and look for Lady Lunar most of the time. It was... Now, and Batman, of course, was supposed to be doing a bunch of investigating, but it was all off-panel. Speaking of Lady Luna... I keep wanting to call her that. Lady Lunar. Uh, What a corny name for a bad guy. I had to check the cover again to make sure I wasn't reading a Silver Age issue. It was that weird. And the story is a bit of a cop-out. I mean... It was pretty obvious when both heroes agree on the secret identity of Lady Lunar when we're only halfway through the story that there was more than likely going to be some kind of a curveball to throw you off so it's completely not who they thought it was. But to throw in a minor character from another comic entirely that has not had any part to play in this story at all is way out of left field. Now, if they'd introduced her back at the beginning of the story... um, Maybe it wouldn't have been so bad, but this about makes about as much sense as having Aunt Harriet be Lady Lunar. On the other hand, the art was really good. Rick Buckler is a great penciler, and Bob Smith did a pretty good job of emulating Dick Giordano. It was really interesting. The art wasn't always very consistent in terms of the designs, but it does look good throughout the story. Plus, this was the era where Batman was using the Super Friends Batmobile, so that was pretty cool. And that's about it for that story. Um, So what I'm going to do now is play a couple more promos, and we'll take a quick look at the rest of the issue. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. 
up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's SupermanHomePage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. SupermanHomePage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. SupermanHomePage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com The funeral is over. Jonathan Kent is on the mend. So, uh, how's Clark's father? Oh, much, much better. Lois has returned home. Lois, over here! Harry, wife? Since when did you start meeting your staff at the airport? How'd you know I was returning on that flight? A good editor checks out his answers, Lois. I got a hot story of lunch lunch straight away. I'm parked over here. But just as Metropolis has learned to live without the Man of Steel... I know, there was only one Superman, but Metropolis just hit the jackpot. Because we got four Supermen now, and nobody knows which of them, if any, is the real McCoy. Four beings of incredible power and intellect have laid claim to the Man of Steel's name. The last son of Krypton. I live. The Man of Steel. Man of Steel coming through! Nobody move! This is a bust! The Cyborg. Yes, I'm Superman. I'm back. The Boy of Steel. Put me down! Listen, pal, don't ever call me Superboy. Capiche? The reign of the Superman is upon us. And so, from crisis to crisis, a Superman podcast begins its epic coverage of this last act in the epic Death and Return of Superman saga. Every week, Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor along with the best and the brightest in the podcasting community, will cover this event in all of its forms, from the comics, to the novelizations, to the audio drama, and beyond. Superman is back, but is any of them the real Man of Steel? Find out on From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, located at www.supermanhomepage.com, and www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com Hey folks, I hope you're enjoying the show. Just wanted to take a quick minute to remind you to visit our sponsor, My Digital Comics. In these days of digital readers and tablets, more and more people are making the transition to digital comics. My Digital Comics provides fans an affordable digital option for their comics in PDF, CBZ, and page flipper formats. Offering titles from publishers like Boom, Dynamite, Top Cow, Devil's Due, Two Morrows, and many more, My Digital Comics' association with DCBS and in-stock trades means that at least until October 7th, every purchase made at My Digital Comics earns you a 5% discount at the main DCBS site. You can find My Digital Comics on the web at mydigitalcomics.com. And you can tell them I sent you. 
but it's not going to get you anything. And now, back to the show. We now return to Superman in the Bronze Age. And we're back. And filling out the rest of this issue of World's Finest, we have a Green Arrow story by Bob Haney and Trevor Von Eden, a Red Tornado story by J.M.D. Mateus and Jose Delbo, a Hawkman and Hawk Girl story by Bob Rosakis and Ken Landgraf, who is actually the only person working in this whole issue that I don't recognize the name of, and a Captain Marvel story by E. Nelson Bridwell and Don Newton. And I haven't read that one yet, but it looks awesome. Uh, inside the front covers is a letters page, in which we learn that DC had a company policy at the time that no editor would write for himself. This is a policy that would be ignored just a few years later, when Jerry Conway started writing and editing Firestorm, and Lee Nguyen wrote and edited Green Lantern, and Marv Wolfman wrote and edited Crisis, and I'm sure there's many other examples. I just thought it was kind of funny that they would point this out in 1980-81, when it wouldn't be that long before that policy was busted. Speaking of Marv Wolfman, while it had apparently been previously announced that he would take over the Superman and Batman stories in World's Finest, it turns out now that he won't. And I'm thinking that this would be around the time that he was starting on Action Comics, or it could be because he was working on Teen Titans? I'm not sure. I... I'm pretty sure, though, that this was way too early for any Crisis stuff to be starting. Also, Aquaman has moved over to Adventure Comics and is now being drawn by Dick Giordano, which I'm betting was pretty awesome. Although, when I looked, it appeared that that little feature, other than the issue from this actual month, uh, that he was then going to be leaving that and heading over to Action Comics for a ba as a backup feature. So, poor Aquaman. The inside back cover featured a Hembeck strip starring the Martian Manhunter and jo Jonah Hex, which is actually pretty funny. A DC Profile 67, which has Mike W. Barr telling us all about Dan Spiegel. And there's a Daily Planet crossword puzzle, most likely put together by Bob Rosakis. Meanwhile, the back cover is Daily Planet Volume 80, Issue 24, with articles about Wizard World returning to Warlord number 40, so I'm wondering what the ticket prices were like back then. The Legion battling the Dark Man in Legion of Superheroes 270. Dr. Polaris conquering the universe in Green Lantern number 135. And some mysterious heroes debuting in ongoing stories featured in the horror books Unexpected Ghosts and Secrets of Haunted House. Plus, there's the direct current section, which leads me to... Elsewhere, Elsewhere in the DC Multiverse. Other comics cover dated with the December 1980, January 1981 cover date. We have Batman 330, which has which shows Batman and Robin apparently teaming up. Um, talking about, well, it looks like Batman's kicking Robin out of the Batcave for another for a woman, <laughs> another woman, and. Just from the what you can see of her, I'm guessing it's Talia. I'm not sure, though. I wouldn't place a bet on it. Although, according to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics, it looks like it is Talia Al Ghul. Yeah, I was right. Um, DC Comics Presents number 28 has Superman and Supergirl 
together against the menace called Mongol, and his terrible weapon, War World. Plus a backup of whatever happened to Johnny Thunder, Lawman. And that's when DC Comics Presents was actually doing uh, like updates on whatever happened to the Earth 2 characters. Kind of... It, it, in my opinion, it's one of those things that they were doing to kind of set things up for when um, All-Star Squadron would be starting up. That, or it just worked out that way. Flash, number 292, has the Flash facing off against Mirror Master. And in the backup feature, Firestorm faces the fury of the Hyena. Uh, let's see, our next superhero comic is Justice League of America, number 185. With the Justice League... The Justice Society, the New Gods, fighting up against Darkseid, and this is one of the first. This is one of the first times George Perez got to work on the Justice League, and he's doing the artwork on the cover, which is awesome. Unfortunately, he only got that because Dick Dillon died, which is unfortunate. In any event, we have New Teen Titans number two, featuring the debut of Deathstroke, the Terminator. Also drawn by George Perez. Uh, also written by Marv Wolfman, so maybe that him not being on World's Finest had nothing to do with that. We have Superman number 354, um, which not only features Superman in a story called Twice Upon a Time, but we also have the debut of Superman, tw- of Superman 3 in Superman 2020, which is one of those imaginary stories of a third Superman. The Superman we know and love would be the grandfather. He had a son that continued the Superman name, and then of course this is the debut of of our Superman's grandson. And of course this would be a time when 2020 would be a year that's got you know flying cars and people wearing weird clothes and you know really futuristic. Uh, next up we have Wonder Woman number 274 in which Wonder Woman has to stop uh, a made-to-order supervillain, and then Huntress gets to team up with Power Girl in the backup feature. We have Action Comics number 514, which also features a story by Marv Wolfman, so I have no idea why he's not doing World's Finest now. Um, Oh, and I like this one. This is where it's the countdown of the killer computer, where Brainiac breaks into the... somehow, busts into the... Fortress of Solitude, and uses the Kryptonian computers there to cause havoc all over the world before Superman's finally able to stop him and reprogram him as a good guy, which has, which actually will have repercussions for future storyline. So that's pretty cool. And the Action Plus features Airwave teamed up with the Atom. I liked Airwave. He was kind of cool. Adventure Comics number 478, Aquaman gets the cover story of Grand Illusion. How can he save Atlantis from Black Manta while New Venice is about to be struck by nuclear missiles? It also, this issue also features a Starman story and a Plastic Man story. Brave and the Bold number 169 features Batman teaming up with Zatanna and a backup story featuring Nemesis. And it's got a really cool cover by Jim Aparo. Detective Comics 497 has is an f- issue that I saw for the first time in the ads of many a Bronze Age comic. 
Uh, it features Batman, Robin, Commissioner Gordon, and another unidentified policeman looking through into a prison cell as Batgirl sits there, wanted for murder. How? Why? I don't know. You'd have to read it. It's called Barbara Gordon Murderous. But that's the backup story, which is kind of cool. Batman has to figure has to deal with a bad night in Baja. But it's another cool Jim Aparo cover. You can't go wrong there. Green Lantern 135, which we mentioned earlier, features Green Lantern versus Dr. Polaris conquering the universe. And it is a... <clears throat> It is a Green Lantern story by Marv Wolfman and drawn by Joe Staten. So that's pretty cool, actually. Maybe that's what he's... I don't know. I'm going to stop doing that. Uh, Legion of Superheroes number 270 features... the asks you, who is the Dark Man? It's a super-length epic. That means it's taking up the whole book. New Adventures of Superboy number 12. Oh, and I like this story, too. This is the story of Superboy uh, saving somebody without changing to Superboy. So he's Clark Kent. And even though he isn't seen as Clark Kent doing the feat, some detective work allows the person that was saved to figure out was Clark. And he's a rich guy. So he funnels a bunch of money into making sure the world knows that Clark Kent is awesome, which causes us some headaches for Superboy. And also, it kind of, it doesn't have lasting repercussions, but it's something that is mentioned again a few more issues down the line. So it's really cool. And they have a new ad addition to the stories, Superboy's Secret Diary, which is the day of the alien scoop, which I want to say is the story of Perry White getting the scoop on Superboy. Basically, he's the one that tells everyone that he's an alien. This is the story where you know, everyone learns that Superboy's from Krypton, and, you know, basically the story that Clark re uh, reveals to Metropolis in the Daily Planet in the post-crisis version and in um, Superman Earth-1. And rounding out this month of superhero stories, we have the Super Friends. Against the future son of Overlord and the Wonder Twins, they deal with the Boogie Mania will get you. Uh-huh. Now that was December. Let me go ahead and look at January 1981, since World's Finest is a bi-monthly uh, book at this point. Batman 331 features Batman against the Electrocutioner, with a cool Jim Aparo cover. And there's two complete stories in that issue. Best of DC Digest number 9, featuring the best of Batman. with another cool Jim Aparo cover. That actually was a reprinted cover, in fact. DC Comics Presents number 29 features Superman teaming up with the Spectre in a story called Where No Superman Has Gone Before, which is, of course, really cool because both Superman and the Spectre were created by Jerry Siegel. And the backup feature is Dr. Midnight in Whatever Happened to Dr. Midnight? Yay, fun. Next up is Flash 293, in which Flash deals with the Pied Piper's Paradox Peril. And the backup feature is Firestorm, although 
Flash is given the credit here. It's called The Deadliest Man Alive, in which Firestorm and The Flash have to team up against the Atomic Skull. And the cover to this is done by George Perez. Again, he's a really awesome artist, and he draws my favorite version of both Flash and Firestorm. Don't get me wrong, there's plenty of awesome Firestorm artists, but George Perez just does my favorite version. Eh, maybe Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, but, you know, six in one hand, half a dozen in the other. Next up, we have Justice League of America 186, where the Justice League goes up against the Shaggy Man. Another George Perez cover, which is awesome. New Teen Titans number three, in which Dr. Light returns, and the Teen Titans are up against the Fearsome Five. Uh, Secrets of the Legion of Superheroes number one comes out this month, which, from what I can tell, because I haven't read it, is basically does for the Legion of Superheroes what Untold Legends of the Batman does for Batman, and kind of what um, Action 500 did for Superman. Tells their story, tells their origins, while also bringing a, telling a new story at the same time. And it's really cool that they do that. I like that. And, of course, Superboy's part of it. Um, but this also is my theory as to why they didn't, uh, the Legion didn't get much mention in Action 500, because they had this coming up. So they're like, you know, if you want to le- read about the Legion, check out their secret origin thing. Uh, next up, Superman 355, in which Superman goes up against Momentous, Master of the Moon. And we get yet another story featuring the Superman of the year 2020 in The Destruction of New Metropolis. And one of these days we'll actually get to some of those stories. It'll be pretty fun. Superman Family number 205 is another bi-weekly $1 story with no ads. And in this we feature... We've got Supergirl in Magic over Miami. Lois... uh, We get Mr. and Mrs. Superman, which of course is... um, the Earth 2, Lois and Superman, featuring To Catch a Falling Star. We have Supergirl dealing with magic over Miami. We have Mr. and Mrs. Superman, who of course are the Earth 2, Superman and Lois, dealing with Catching a Falling Star. And apparently there's a villain made out of kryptonite. Hmm. wonder if it's kryptonite, man. Uh, we have... Superman dealing with the case of the disappearing day, who apparently is a woman. Uh, and that's Clark Kent, of course, from the Earth-1. This would be Private Life of Clark Kent has moved over here. Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane now has a feature in this book called Climb to Calamity. No, that's Jimmy's Lois Lane has a feature called Lois Lane Found. I guess she was lost. Jimmy Olsen goes up against the Climb to Calamity, and then Lois and Jimmy get together to... F- deal with The Election Nightmare. Five all-new stories with no ads. Next up, we have Wonder Woman number 275, featuring Wonder Woman up against The Cheetah. And, of course, The Huntress deals with The Thinking Man's Crime. I like this cover. It's a Rick Buckler cover with Dick Giordano inking. The colors are very vibrant. I like it, even though it uses a lot of yellow. It's not bad. Action Comics number 515 features Superman working for Vandal Savage in This Is My World and You're Welcome to It, which is pretty interesting and is a two-part story with a somewhat confusing ending. I might have to cover that sometime in the future, 
In fact, I know I will, because it's Bronze Age. Hello! And the Atom in Sorry, Wrong Powers, which actually is a crossover from a either future or recent issue of, the, of DC Comics Presents, in which they did a Whatever Happened to the Golden Age Atom. Somewhere in the middle of the story, the Golden Age Atom gets the Earth-1 Atom's uh, gets his power, size controlling, weight control, all that, and stops a crime. So now we know the rest of the story. This will tell you how the how the Earth-1 Atom did his stuff using the Golden Age Atom's powers. I don't know if it affects any other heroes at any other times, but I do know it affects them, and that's pretty cool. Brave and the Bold, number 170, features Batman teaming up against Nemesis in a 25-page thriller with cover art by Jim Aparo. Detective Comics, number 498, almost up to 500, folks, features Batman against the Blockbuster. And they continue the story of Batgirl Murderer. And this has a really cool cover of Batman just kind of striking kind of a super of a superman pose on top of a pier with some cops and a fishing boat and you see a giant hand clinging to the bottom of the pier i like that and it's only kind of ruined because you have the batgirl murder so they have to put batgirl in one corner and it kind of kills the mood um especially since they put him at, put it in the bottom corner right by the hand coming out of the water so yeah Green Lantern 136, The Space Ranger Strikes Back. Lost in time, the Emerald Crusader must make 24 hours of power last for 5,000 years. That is a cool-looking cover, which is apparently drawn by both Rick Buckler and Joe Staten and Dick Giordano, and inked by Frank McLaughlin and Dave Cockrum. I don't know who's doing what but the Green Lantern image looks really, really good. Legion of Superheroes number 271, featuring the Legion against the Dark Man. Still, New Adventures of Superboy number 13, Superboy's Wild Weekend Out West, which is another fun story. The cover image deals with, like, the opening scene. But not only is it a full-length adventure, but it also deals with Superboy meeting a certain Harold Jordan as a teenager. And if you can figure out who Harold Jordan would be when he grows up, good for you. Finally, we have Super Friends number 40. That's right, kids. It's a animated cartoon-related co comic book that actually made it to 40 issues. Wow. Uh, the Super Friends are against the menace of the mixed-up senses, and the Global Guardians have the backup feature of Blarney for sale. Because it's Jack-O-Lantern. And that finishes that for that month. Next up, we have J. David Weider presenting another exciting adventure of Superboy in the Bronze Age. The Adventures of Superboy. Exciting stories of Superman when he was a boy, who even as an infant demonstrated powers and abilities far beyond the capabilities of Earthlings. Superboy, who as Clark Kent, mild-mannered foster son of Martha and Jonathan Kent, preserves the secret of his true identity and devotes his superpowers to the prevention of crime, the preservation of peace, and the pursuit of truth. 
Hello, I am J. David Weeder with Superboy in the Bronze Age, looking back on Superboy's adventures from the 70s and early 80s. This time around begins a whopping four-part look at the Millennium Massacre, which appeared in DC All-New Collector's Edition C-55, Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes. Now, this being a tabloid-sized book, by sheer dimensions, it is the biggest comic I have ever covered. But by length, it's actually fairly normal, to be honest. Uh, this was actually released in December of 1977, to be exact, it's December 12th of 77, cover dated 1978. And I actually began the look at the book as a whole with the backup story, which is the origins and superpowers of the Legionnaires. Just because I wanted to give everybody a bit of a Legion jumping on point, a bit of a primer. And more specifically to the Legion of this particular time frame. Now, because the Legion is actually something from the Silver Age that appeared in Adventure Comics number 247 from April of 1958. It's always uh, something that's been associated with Superboy. This story will actually let us in on who's who as in some of the equipment we use, some of the things we're going to see quite a bit as we progress through the Superboy stories in this segment going forward. And I will actually be referring back to this particular installment quite a bit because obviously we don't want to rehash information over and over again on the characters. So bookmark it if you do need a quick reference. Now opening up this back matter, it was written by Mr. Paul Levitz, penciled by Mike Grell, inked by Vince Coletta, lettered by Gaspar Saladino, which is just another awesome name, and colored by Jerry Serpy. I hope I'm not butchering that name. But the actual installment itself focuses first on the three original Legionnaires who did make their first appearance in that Adventure Comics issue, Cosmic Boy, Lightning Lad, and Saturn Girl. Uh, Cosmic Boy, whose real name is Rock Crin, comes from the planet Brawl. And that planet was actually in a depression, so he was heading to Earth to find work, and he happened to uh, end up saving R.J. Brand, who is a billionaire, from an assassination attempt. And so he actually hooked up with Saturn Girl and Lightning Lad, and the Legion was formed from there. And Rock was actually the first Legion leader. Obviously, there's an election process where leaders are put in, taken out, kind of normal democracy. Everybody kind of gets a, swat, a shot at the leadership. Saturn Girl, as I mentioned, she was actually born on Titan, which is an Earth colony on Saturn's moon. You get it? Saturn Girl. Her real name is Emma Ardine, and she actually decided that Saturn's unique crimeless state was ideal and journeyed to Earth's Science Police Academy to help other worlds achieve that bliss. And of course, en route, she became involved in saving R.J. Brand. Lightning Lad is the third Charter Legionnaire. His name is Garth Rands, who was also, of course, in the incident with R.J. Brand. I don't know how many times I can say that, so I'm going to not be redundant too late. Uh, he was actually traveling with his sister and brother when their ship's batteries gave out, and... He tried to trick the lightning monsters of Korbal into recharging the batteries, but they actually instead charged him. So now he has, well, as the name implies, lightning powers. And then we have Duo Damsel and Phantom Girl. Uh, they were actually the next up. Uh, Duo Damsel was originally Triplicate Girl who could split into three different people. Um, one of those duplicates, well, they died. Now actually, Duo Damsel... At the time that we're looking at this story, actually retired completely to marry Chuck Tane, Bouncing Boy, who we're going to look at in a moment. Phantom Girl is actually 
from the planet I can't even say the name of, BGZTL, try to pronounce it, um, she can actually become insubstantial. That's just part of her. Um, intangible, invisible, so on and so forth. Now, she is actually hooked up with Ultra Boy. You're going to find that within the Legion, there's a lot of hooking up with each other. But they are hoping to marry. Then we have Chameleon Boy, who is, he was born Reap Daggle on Durla, and he can shapeshift. Colossal Boy is actually an Earthling, and he actually got his ability to change size from crashing on Mars. And that's, he also gets proportionate strength with that. And of course, we know Superboy and Supergirl. And there's also Brainiac 5, who is Quirrell Dox, who is actually a descendant of the Brainiac that we know. And, of course, he is super smart, as the name would apply. Ultra Boy, Jonah of the planet Rimbor, uh, actually got swallowed by an energy beast. And when he got freed, he was basically able to gain ultra energy, which he can focus to use one superpower at a time. So we're talking about flying, super strength, super speed, flash vision, which is heat vision, or invulnerability, or penetra vision which is x-ray but it also goes through lead so he's got one at a time he's got a nice array one at a time Starboy is able to induce mass from the stars into objects making them heavy or super light so he can change the density uh, shrinking violet she can well shrink Sunboy, which was one of my longtime favorite legionnaires was imprisoned imprisoned in a nuclear power plant by dr zaxton zaxton regalius who blamed the kid for his firing from the plant. Uh, but, by some freak of nature, the radiation didn't kill him. He instead got charged with solar powers. And then we have, of course, Monel, who uh, we have talked about a little bit in, in various Superman stories. Bouncing Boy, who can... Well, he was an errand boy. When he first swallowed a super elastic formula, he gained the ability to inflate. Yes, he can bounce as though he's rubber. It's, it doesn't... Most of these Legion names don't really bury the lead. Uh, Matter Eater Lad can literally eat anything. He possesses this unique digestive system, which he can eat metal bars if he wanted to. Element Lad. Element Lad is Jan Era, last survivor of the planet Trom, which is decimated. He can actually transmute elements, kind of like a firestorm type thing. So he can turn things to gold, yet he's a Legionnaire. Uh, light mass, she can make things light, and by that I mean not heavy. So that's kind of an awesome superpower to not have. Dream Girl, speaking of superpowers, Nuranal of Naltor, she has the power of prophecy, which is kind of normal in her world. So asleep or awake, she often gets glimpses of the future, which might as well call her Plot Point Girl. Uh, Princess Projecta, the heir apparent to the throne of Ornando, she joined at the same time as Karate Kid, who is Orphan Val Amar of Earth. Uh, Karate Kid has a, a level of karate that is above and beyond anything. Uh, actually, kind of a cool character, to be honest. We're going to see as things go on. He was basically trained from birth. Projector doesn't have super karate, but she can make illusions. That's how she rolls. She's also the richest team member and the only royal team member. Uh, then we have Shadow Lass, who is Tasmia Malor. She has the ability to project darkness. Timber Wolf, Bryn Londo of Zune. He gained artificial superpowers when his scientist father exposed him to a rare Zunium ray. 
His agility is unmatched by any Legionnaire, and his speed and strength are almost comparable to Ultra Boy's. So he's just another super BA character, Wildfire, which is one of my favorites, along with Sunboy. Uh, he was actually Drake Burrows of Earth, and he was caught in an antimatter accident and changed into a strange form of sentient energy, kept intact by his costume, which covers all of him, including like a motorcycle-type helmet. And he can actually shoot this energy as well with really destructive effects. Kind of coming in here with some of the backups. We have Dawnstar, native of Earth Colony, Starhaven. She was actually born with wings and natural hotness. Uh, Tyrock. Tyrock can yell. Kind of like the X-Men's Banshee uh, with different effects. The three fallen mourned legionnaires. Pharaoh Lad, Invisible Kid, and Chemical King. Invisible Kid obviously could turn invisible. Feral Lad could actually turn to his body to an iron hardness. And he actually sacrificed his life to defeat the Sun Eater, which threatened life in the whole galaxy. Invisible Kid was actually killed by Valius of the Fatal Five. And Chemical Keem, he was a living catalyst, so he could speed up or slow down chemical reactions. He died stopping Daragon's plan to start World War Seven. Bear in mind, we're in the 30th century. That's a pretty valid point that I completely left out in the beginning. So that is a podcast fail right there. You can mark that down in my my tally. As far as the Legion's equipment, uh, we're going to find that they do have a fairly substantial headquarters. They wear Each one will wear a Legion flight ring, even if their power does include that. Because uh, they don't want to use clumsy jetpacks if they can't fly. So the flight ring also is actually made of an anti-gravity element. Uh, standard issue as well is a telepathic plug. So, if they're out in space, they can talk with one another. You've seen it before. And then there are characters that actually have standard-issue transparent spacesuits and helmets, which apparently they're wearing quite a bit. Uh, this kind of allows the artist to draw the characters as they are in their costumes, but not without the little bit of logic. And I like that detail quite a bit, that they thought that through. And then we have Legion Cruisers, which uh, really they're an odd vehicle that basically has a saucer section with a very long neck connected to a square section with rockets. And that is a quick overview of the Legionnaires. Obviously, as we come across these characters here and there, we're going to be looking at them a little bit more in depth. But I wanted to give you a quick Legion primer. And next time around, we actually begin our look at the Millennium Massacre, Part 1. So until then, I am J. David Weeder, handing it back to Mr. Charles Niemeyer. All right. Thanks, David. And that's going to wrap things up for this episode. Join us again in just two weeks for another super episode. And since my birthday falls in August, next month or next episode is the first part of birthday month. So have a good couple of weeks and we will see you then. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to Superman of the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlene Meyer. The home of the show is at www.supermanofthebronzeage.com where you will find show postings, links to the RSS and iTunes feeds, and more. You can also find the show on Facebook, where you'll get a little notice whenever a new episode is posted. Superman in the Bronze Age is also a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, which is at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. There you will find postings for this show, as well as many other Superman-related podcasts. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, and is copyright DC Comics. Thank you all for listening. And God bless.
You can hear our show on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, BlackBerry, or Palm phones. On demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio.